0: Past the hills of what Valley and the Wind River Windmill sits a small little town, blanketed in snow, named Wyville. All the Ys down in Wyville loved Christmas a lot, but up on Mount Grumpy lives someone who did not. His name was Grimley, and he was the grouchiest and meanest of Grinches. He hated the Ys, their Christmas and their tree, all 96 pine inches. So Grimly made his way down from Mount Grumpy that snow laden day to see if he could steal all those nice things and make those wives pay. <laughs> this will teach him. <laughs> so, with a bag full of his stolen stuff, Grimly prepared to leave in a huff. But just at that moment, there came along a girl named Wendy Lee Y. She was the happiest of them all, with a smile and a twinkle in her eye. Oh, why is that? good friend grimly well uh, get out of my way wendy i got too much to do well grimly i just wanted to say merry christmas what it's a gift for you a-, a gift for me but no one ever gets me gifts uh well i did yeah well how am i supposed to take your gift and hang on to all this stuff too well why don't you let that stuff go let it go no way besides it's probably just a trick yeah, you look like a tricky one. None of you wise uh, like me at all. I'm all alone. I, I've never gotten a gift. I've never even been invited to anything. Oh, hey guys, do you want to come over to my house for some hot chocolate? Hot chocolate? I can't do that. Look at this bag I got on my shoulder. Oh, yeah. I can't drink hot cocoa. <laughs> Ugh. Well, if what you're working so hard to carry is the most important thing to you, I guess I should just give this to someone else. whatever. Listen up, Wendy. I don't care about your cocoa or ice skating or your little gifts. All I care about is getting my stuff back up to Mount Grumpy. Oh, hey, Jonathan. I was just leaving. I guess Grimly doesn't really need me around.
1: Do that again. Hey, Grimly, buddy, this what? bag is kind of causing you some trouble, don't you think? Yeah. I think you should probably put that down before you, you know, strain yourself.
0: What are, you, what are you talking about? No, of course not. Do you see any other Grinches around here? No, I'm fine carrying this stuff back up to my mountain no, all by myself. Whoa! Ow. I think I strained something.
1: Uh, who could have predicted that, right? Well, hey everybody, we're so glad that you're here for the beginning of the Grinch's series. One more time, can we celebrate with the set shop for the amazing job that they did? It's just really amazing. so, last year, right about Christmas time, I was reading a blog by a, a, a Christian blogger. He blogs about marriage and family kind of stuff. And he was talking about how important traditions are and, uh, around Christmas, and especially how important it is to be intentional about creating traditions. His point was that since Christmas only comes around once a year, if you wait for traditions to sort of organically develop, by the time they just sort of happen, your kids will already have grown up and moved out of the house. So his point was, you have to be intentional about traditions. You have to make your Christmas traditions with your family. And for some reason, that really hit home for me. I mean, our oldest at the time was 13, and I was thinking, wow, you know, just five more Christmases before she's going off to college. And I was sure she was going to come home for the holidays. But I'm thinking, you know, if we're going to start a new Christmas tradition, now's the time. And I talked with Wendy a little bit about this. And uh, she and I happened to be walking through a uh, sort of like a craft store. And they have a lot of holiday stuff there. And uh, again, this was last year. And they had this cool little uh, stacker that had four uh, Christmas coffee mugs in it really cool-looking little coffee mugs, and they, they would stack on top of each other in this nice little metal stacker. And I thought, how cool is this? I told Wendy, look, there's four mugs, and there's four of us. That's the kind of math that I'm capable of doing, right? And, and I said, this is perfect, right? So we'll get this mug thing, and we'll make this a thing, like a Christmas thing. Like every year, we'll get out the Christmas mugs, and we'll have hot hot chocolate, and pop popcorn, and watch a Christmas movie, and it'll just be that warm fuzzy that every, you know, that we all want at Christmas time. Like, it'll be perfect, right? And, and, I, and I even went a little, you know, I started getting a little crazy with this. I'm thinking, well, someday the girls are going to get married, and there's going to be sons-in-law, and I hate to leave them out, and I'm asking Wendy, should we get a, another one too? And Wendy's like, you're overthinking this, Jonathan, you know? <laughs> I really got in the spirit of it. And when I got home, I kind of oversold it to the girls. I'm like, this is amazing. This is incredible. This is, we're going to do this every year. It's a family. And of course, they were completely into it, which is why this year they remembered, and I forgot, um... So they're like, no, we have to get the Christmas mugs out. we got to do this. It's a thing, right? So I got it in the garage, and we've got a lot of up storage in the garage. So I had to get the ladder out and and poke around in the boxes and tubs and try to find these uh, Christmas mugs. Finally, I find them, and I bring them into the house, and Wendy's sort of uh, getting everything ready. We're going to have that special Christmas kind of thing going on, Christmas movie and popcorn and hot chocolate and everything. And uh, so Wendy just sort of gently comes up to me out of the eyeline of the girls, and she has one of the cups flipped upside down, and she says, Jonathan look at this. I think it's mold on the the bottom of the cup. What you should know is that between last Christmas and this Christmas, we've moved from one house to another. And you know how it is when you move. All your stuff's going in and out of high humidity areas. It's going on the truck and off the truck and all that stuff. So I think all that that humidity change had gotten a little bit of condensation there and turned to to mold. And uh, so now here's something you should know about me. Once I know that mold has been on something, my relationship with that thing is over, you know, I, I don't care. Like I've had some people tell me, well, you could have put bleach on it. I look, I don't care if you dip it in acid. Once it's had mold on it, my future with that is done. It's over, right? Uh, and so, you know, I terminated our future with those mugs, which by the way, in case you're wondering, we did get new ones. We now have metal mugs. I wanted to get something a little more durable. So now we have metal Christmas mugs. Uh, that we just have to remember not to put in the microwave. Um, But in any case, uh, the thing that stood out to me about that experience is that when Wendy brought me that mug and showed me that nasty black mold, I really got kind of upset, because I thought, I'm trying here, right? I read the blog, I'm doing what the blogger said, I'm trying, I'm trying to create Christmas traditions, I'm trying to make the warm fuzzy happen. How hard is it to make the warm fuzzy happen? But here's the thing, you and I both know this, it's actually very hard to make the warm fuzzy happen at Christmas. Sometimes it happens, and sometimes no matter how hard you try to recreate things that worked for you in past holiday seasons, no matter how hard you try to go through all the motions of things that have worked before, sometimes it doesn't click. Sometimes there are things that sort of mess up the joy that we feel like we should be having at Christmas, right? Sometimes there's things that are outside of our control. Sometimes there's mold on the cup. And so we're talking in this series about the things that cause us pain and steal our joy. In fact, that's just how we're going to define what a Grinch is. Our series is called Grinches. We're going to be spending several weeks on this. And basically, we're saying that a Grinch is something in your life that causes you pain and takes away your joy. So that's the introduction, very short introduction, because I can't wait to get into what we're going to be talking about uh, today. And and actually, maybe more than any talk that I've ever given at New Spring, this talk is directed uh, especially for a certain group of people that are here today. This talk is especially for the managers in the room. And by that, I don't mean people that manage a department at work, although you may. I mean the people that manage details. Right? So this is the person who, at your Thanksgiving family celebration, was sort of like the flight traffic controller, right? The, they were the person making sure the planes took off on time and landed on time and that there were no mid-air collisions, right? This is the person that's making sure everything is, is done just right, that everybody's situated okay, there's enough chairs at the table, that the turkey is done just perfectly, that everything has to be just so. And this is a, this is a detailed person, right? If you're that kind of person, right? Now, I'm not. Right. I'm I'm profoundly ADHD. I am one of the people that makes life difficult for detail people. Right. Wendy is a detail person. We've been married for 16 years. I have I have made her life crazy because she is the detail person. I'm the person who's like, whatever. Right. So she ends up having to do a lot of stuff because, you know, I don't. And this is the thing. This is for the managers in the room. But it's also for those of you that are like me who make life hard on the managers in the room right that's for the people like me as well who sometimes lean a little too hard on the detail people and the detail people end up doing a little too much and then end up being really frazzled right so this is what we're going to be talking about and we're going to look at the story of a of a manager in the bible of a detail person in the bible and what's so what's super cool is we're going to talk about sort of what she felt at a big celebration meal at a big get-together, at a big celebratory experience, right, which is what a lot of us just had a few days ago. As a matter of fact, let's just do do this for fun. If you just hosted a big family get-together a few days ago, or if sometime before Christmas is over, you will have hosted a big family get-together at your house, raise your hand, let me just see. All right, we're going to be praying for you, right? right. because you know what it's like, right? You know the crazy stress that it involves to have people over to your house and to try to make sure everything works just right for everybody who's coming and being a part of that. So we're gonna talk about a lady named Martha in the Bible who was having a huge get together and it kind of went sideways on her, right? So this is in the book of Luke uh, chapter 10. The Bible says that as Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village, and this would have been Bethany, uh, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So this was a celebration uh, that wasn't for family. This was for Jesus and his disciples and whoever else happened to be with them. I think safely we could say probably 20 to 25 people. Right? So if you just had a big group of people over to your house, imagine this. You've got 20 to 25 people coming over on basically no notice. right? Because it's not like, It is today, when everybody is texting about, when are we gonna get together? Does the 22nd sound good to you? Yeah, the 22nd sounds good to me, right? And everybody's getting their dates squared away. This is Jesus and his disciples on their way to Jerusalem, no advance notice, here they are, they show up in Bethany, and Martha on a day's notice is gonna put together this big get together at her house for 20 to 25 people at least, and Jesus is the guest of honor, right? Imagine the kind of stress that that involves. And keep in mind that unlike us, Martha had no Sam's Club. She's got no Walmart, no Dillon's. It's not like she could just go in one trip and get, well, like any of us go shopping just one trip, but it's not, it's not like she could just go in one trip and get all the stuff that she has to get to take back home and, and prepare this meal. And on top of that, let's just talk about preparing that meal because she has no refrigerator, no modern stove, no modern kitchen appliances that we're used to using, right? Imagine the stress that you would feel if I took away all your appliances, I took away your grocery store, and I said, you're hosting a meal for 25 people tonight, and oh, by the way, the guest of honor is Jesus, right? Because that's got to be a little unnerving, be- besides the fact that now we've created a new level of clean. Now, in the home I grew up in, there were two levels of clean. There was regular clean, which was, which was absolutely clean, and then there was company clean. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you just had to get your house company clean, right? Um, But I feel like Martha had to now have a third level. There's regular clean, there's company clean, and now there's Jesus clean. Can you imagine, right? Because some of you, you're stressed out. My mother-in-law is coming over to the house and she's gonna be evaluating everything. Is this dusted? Is this, you know, does the floor look like it hasn't been swept and all that stuff? But imagine what you'd feel if you were thinking about what is Jesus gonna think as he walks around my house? Is he gonna think everything is okay? Is he gonna think that I'm handling this all right? So to tap into Martha's experience, you gotta realize we're talking about a lady who was carrying a lot of weight on her shoulders. She was a lady who had a lot of things to be stressed out about, and she was stressing. She's preparing that meal. She's making sure everything is, is, nothing's burning on the stove. She's checking to make sure all the disciples have seats. You know, do you have a place to sit? Is everything okay? Are you feeling all right? Is everything all right? She's checking, does anybody need anything to drink? You know, she's just checking on everybody. And she's starting now to fray a little at the ends. You know what this, you ever notice when the hostess begins to fray a little at the ends? You know, starting to, she, this, this started off as a wonderful experience, but now it's starting to sort of decline a little bit. And you can tell this day is starting to lose some of its joy for her. And I think Martha was starting to lose it a little bit, right? So she's thinking to herself, you know, the, the worst problem about this whole deal is I have not seen my sister in like an hour. My sister's supposed to be helping me. She's supposed to be helping me cook. She's supposed to be helping me clean. She's supposed to be helping me do this. I mean, after all, this is a big meal. This is short notice. She ought to be helping me with this stuff. I'm doing twice what I should have to do. I'm doing two people's work because I'm doing my work and I'm doing Mary's work as well. So she goes looking for her sister. And she looks in all the places she would expect to find her. She looks through the whole kitchen. She's not in there. She looks through the whole dining room. She's not in there. She's not putting out place settings. She's not making sure that everybody's comfortable. When she finds Mary, she finds Mary sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. She finds her sister plopped down on the floor of the living room, listening to Jesus, doing, as far as Martha was concerned, nothing. Doing nothing. And it absolutely drives her crazy. Now, here's the thing. I want you to notice this. Dr. Luke is being very specific with us here. He wants us to understand the contrast here. He's saying Mary was focused on Jesus, but Martha was what? Distracted. Distracted by what? By the big dinner she was preparing. Well, there's two things that we should notice there, right? One is that in order for somebody to be distracted, they are supposed to be focused on something else. You can't be distracted if you weren't already supposed to focus on something else, right? So like for instance, you know, uh, my wife and I will go to one of these restaurants that sadistically put TV screens right in a guy's eye line, right? And stuff will be on those TV screens that I have no interest in, right? They're playing soccer. I don't even care about soccer, right? But because I'm part of the male species, any movement on a digital screen means reorientation of my head in that direction, right? Now, I'm supposed to be focused on my wife. I want to be focused on my wife, you see, right? But I keep drifting over to the screen, right? It's like some sort of magnetic field that keeps pulling me over, right? But in order to be distracted, I was supposed to be focused on something else. So Martha was supposed to be focused on something else, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But the other thing I want you to notice about that word distracted is that the Greek word that gets translated into English, distracted, actually has a much more colorful meaning. In the Greek, it means to get dragged around in 15 different directions, right? I'm getting dragged around over here, then I'm getting dragged around over here. Have you ever seen, the way to think about this, if you've ever seen a little kid with a big dog, that's what we're talking about, getting getting dragged around. When I was eight or nine, we had a a, a dog, an outdoor dog growing up as a beagle. Uh, her name was Scoot. It's a dumb dog. Um, but at the time we lived, uh, our the church was down at Hillside Mount Vernon at the time on the south side of town. And we lived in what's called a parsonage. It was a house that was owned by the church and it was across the parking lot from the church building. And so growing up, there was this huge parking lot that was just Sort of like our backyard was a huge parking lot. Uh, and so I would take the dog for a walk in the, in, on that parking lot, and, and, and Scoot would do that to me, right? She'd drag me this way, and then she'd drag me that way, right? And you know how this is if, you've, if you had this experience when you are growing up. Eventually, you get tired of that, right? Your shoulder's pulled out of its socket, you know, and your legs are tired. And you're like, I can't keep doing this forever, right? And so this is what it was like for her. She's just getting dragged around by all, the, by all those details, by all the stuff that she was trying to do right? And it was distracting her. And so now Martha is aggravated enough that she has now reached the point at which she is going to have a conniption, right? Which is a special experience to watch, right? Because she comes in and unloads on Jesus. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister sits here while I do all the work? And now she's going to give a direct command to the creator of the universe. (laughs) Tell her to come and help me. Right? Do you notice, like, this is, this is a lot of anger, and it's directed at Jesus. Jesus, number one, you don't see this correctly. It's unfair, and for some reason, you're not paying attention. Second of all, it's not okay that you're just letting her sit here and, and listen to you teach. Third of all, you need to just tell her to get up and come to the kitchen and help me. <clears throat> Have you ever been at a family celebration where everything was going fine, and then somebody said something? And it got real quiet in the room, right? Everybody's looking around to see, all right, what's going to happen next, right? I think that's what happened here because, you know, Jesus was who everybody was there to see. They were all listening to Jesus teach. All of a sudden, Martha comes in and just unloads on him. And now I'm thinking everybody's sort of stepping back to watch what happens, right? Now, here's the thing. Martha's having a bad day. It was meant to be a good day. It was meant to be a joyful day, but it's turning into a bad day. And now Jesus is going to have to respond. So everybody's watching to see what he says. And this is what Jesus says. The Lord said to her, my dear Martha. Now, why does he start off that way? My dear Martha. Well, I think for one thing, Jesus wanted everybody in the room to recognize Martha may be having a bad day, but she's not a bad person. She may be struggling with this, but it's not that something's wrong with her. As a matter of fact, I think he wanted everybody to understand Martha's struggling right now because because she cares so much. Martha's struggling right now because she cares so much about the people in this room and she cares so much about their experience and she wants everything to be wonderful for everybody in this room. So she's struggling, but it's not because she's a bad person. But now he's gonna have to coach her up a little bit. And he says, Martha, you are worried and upset. And, and this is keeping in track with that same thing I was talking about, getting dragged around all over the place a second ago because the words that end up getting translated, worried and upset, it really means to have a divided mind. Jesus was saying, look, your, your mind is getting dragged in so many different directions right now. And he said, you know what's doing this to you? What's doing this to you is all these details. All these details. By the way, talking about having our mind pulled apart in several different directions. I want to talk for a second to the multitaskers in the room. And you know who you think you are, right? Um, we think we multitask, right? Right? Um, And the truth is we can manage multiple things at once, but we don't multitask. Nobody does. Brain science tells us that our brain is only able to focus on one thing at a time. So what we do is we toggle. We go back and forth, which basically means that we're getting dragged this way, and then we're getting dragged this way, and then we're getting dragged this way, and we're getting dragged that way. And there is no, no part of our life that is getting all of us. There's no part of that experience that's getting the best of who we are because we're divided in so many different directions. So we may think we're paying attention to our family at the dinner table, but actually we're paying a little bit of attention to our family at the dinner table, and then we're paying attention to what's going on in the kitchen, and then we're paying attention to what's going on on the front porch, and we're not actually as present as we think we are. So Jesus said the culprit here is all these details. Now... and and we're gonna come to this verse here in just a moment, but I wanna talk for just a second about what Jesus is really pinpointing as the problem here. Because I've preached on this story many times here at New Spring, probably, I don't know, seven or eight times. Actually, the first time I ever preached at New Spring, which was 11 years ago, I preached on this story. Um, But I don't know that I've ever really gotten quite as centered in on what the real problem was for Martha as I did this week, and especially thinking about it in the context of a big family celebration or or a big celebration for people that you want to honor. And that is, I think Martha's real problem was this. I think she was a person with a big heart who lost sight of the big picture. I think she was a person who cared deeply about people and about their experience and about what was happening in her house that day and wanted it to be the very best that it could be. As a matter of fact, I think she didn't just want it to be a good experience. I think because she had a big heart, she wanted everything to be perfect and she wanted everyone to cooperate. I won't ask everybody to, to raise hands on that one. But how many of us at Thanksgiving, that's what we were hoping for? At Thanksgiving, we were hoping that everything would be perfect and everyone would cooperate, and in order to have the warm, fuzzy feeling, we needed it to hit those marks. And because of that, we set the bar way too high for joy. We said, I'm, I'm going to feel joyful if everything turns out as perfectly as possible, and if everybody cooperates. Well, guess what? That's probably not going to happen, right? And so Jesus is saying, look, you're, you're a wonderful person. You've got a big heart, but you've lost track of the big picture. And, and here's, what I, here's what I mean by losing track of the big picture. The reason, and by the way, let me let me even take a step back from that. Why am I talking about the big picture? Well, Jesus said the culprit is the details, right? What's the opposite of the details? It's the big picture, right? I told you, Scoot used to drag me all around the church parking lot. Eventually, I get tired of that. So, in our backyard, we had this fence post that was um, part of the old fence that they had torn down, and it was just standing there all by itself, lonely fence post. And what I would do is, when when I would get tired of Scoot dragging me around, I would just go and I would put my arm around that fence post like this, right? So Scoot's still doing this, right? But at least I'm not having to follow her everywhere she goes, right? Scoot was in control of me a few minutes ago, but now I'm in control of Scoot. Now here's the thing. If you're a detail person in this room, that is part of who you are. It's part of what makes you a wonderful person and you will always keep at least one hand on the details. That's just, that's just how it is. You're always gonna pay attention to the details. The details are always gonna matter to you. So you're always gonna have one hand on the details but you're going to have to keep one arm wrapped around the big picture. Because if you don't keep one arm wrapped around the the big picture, you're going to end up getting dragged around by the details. The details are going to be in control of you. The only way to stay in control of the details is to keep one arm wrapped around the big picture. That's what Martha failed to do. And because of that, because she sort of struggled with that, if you didn't really know Martha, if you didn't understand her heart and if you didn't understand what she was trying to accomplish there, well, you might think she was you know, a cranky person. You might think she was impossible to deal with. You might think she had a type A. Actually, she probably did have a type A personality. Um, you might call her a difficult person or you might say that she was high strung. And if you're a manager in this room, chances are at some point, when you were trying to do the very best you could for the people that you love, you got classified or characterized in one of these ways. You were viewed as a cranky person or you were viewed as being high strung, but you know that's not what it was. I mean, if you really understood Martha, you would understand that what was really happening for her is that she was stressed and she was drowning in all these details and she was overwhelmed. What you see happening with Martha is you see the effects of someone carrying too much for too long. In the world of psychology, we talk about good stress, bad stress, and chronic stress. One of these days, maybe we can talk about each of those in turn. But just for a moment, focusing in on this idea of chronic stress. Chronic stress is the effect of the daily hassles and struggles in your life that just keep chipping away. They keep chipping away, and eventually they accumulate. And, it's, and if you carry too much for too long, eventually there'll be a collapse. And that's the case with everything, right? Whether we're talking about a person, we're talking about a bridge, too much weight for too much time equals a collapse. And what you're seeing with Martha is you're seeing a little micro-collapse. She's been carrying too much for too long. And if you're a detailed person in this room, if you're a manager, you know what I'm talking about because you feel as though you walk through life carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. Somehow you've got to make it all be all right for everybody. But it's too much. And eventually it'll, the, eventually you'll start to notice that, the, that you're feeling that collapse, that breakdown on the inside that Martha was experiencing. So Jesus said, look, all these details are really causing some problems for you. But now, the the wonderful counselor, the great physician is getting ready to, to give Martha a little therapy. This is better than any therapy you'd receive from a psychiatrist or a therapist. This is Jesus helping her know how to deal with the burden of being a manager. He's not gonna to try to change the kind of person that she is. He's just gonna coach her up a little bit on this. And we're just gonna t- look at what Jesus said and hopefully try to take a few keys from this that will help us uh, as we move through this Christmas season. So the, the, the verse that I wanna take you to is verse 42. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the, the therapy that he's giving Martha. He said, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Well, when I was studying it this, this week, i just in that one verse, it seems like there's three things that Jesus is trying to teach Martha, and we're just gonna break those down, right? And if you're a manager in this room, maybe something worth taking notes, right? Um, the first thing is Jesus had to deal with the fact that Martha tended to be concerned about everything. And if you're a manager in this room, chances are, yeah, that, that's a little bit true about you, that things just catch your attention, and you're not worried about a few things, you're worried about everything. You're the kind of person who can, you 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 can, you you can, Think about a lot of things, right? You you can keep track of a lot of things and all those things are things that you're trying to figure out. How do I make it be the best it can be? How can I make sure that the wheels don't fall off here, right? But Jesus needed to teach Martha that first of all, not everything deserves your concern. One of the most important things that we can learn in this generation of beeping, vibrating, buzzing, status updating, glowing screens that are in our face constantly demanding our attention is that not everything that demands our attention deserves our attention, Right? And there's a lot of stuff out there, right, that can, that can get us concerned and get us invested, but not everything deserves that kind of concern. Well, what should be a grid for the kinds of things we should focus on, the kinds of things maybe we should just let pass and not focus on? Well, I don't have anything straight from the scripture here, but I did try to spend some time this week thinking about what's the difference between this Jesus teaching in the living room that was a good thing to focus on, And all the details of this dinner, which Jesus was saying was not a good thing to get wrapped up in. Well, let me just give you a grid of these three things really quickly. I think first of all, we should be focusing on things that are personal, right? Because the things that really matter usually have to do with people a lot more than they have to do with projects, I mean, the thing is, projects will always be around. You'll always have another project that you can do. There'll always be another dinner that you can host. There'll always be another meal that you can provide. There's always gonna be something that you could make into a big project. But people, people are much more valuable than projects. And your opportunity to connect with people is way more precious than your opportunity to get invested in projects. So I think, first of all, it needs to be personal. Second, I think it needs to be experiential, right? We need to prefer experiences over tasks, right? Because there will always be tasks. You'll always have, an, have something else that you could do. And, and I, think as, I think especially in, in, in our world and in, in, in maybe, maybe especially in the United States, but we're, we're really hung up on experiencing things. Man, we are a culture that wants to do stuff. We want to do stuff. But we need to not lose track of the fact that God also wants us to experience some stuff. And a lot of times, we can get so caught up in doing stuff that we lose track of experiencing what God has for us to experience, right? So they need to be personal, they need to be experiential, and then I think they need to be things that are not easily duplicated, right? What is happening under my roof with my family that is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I could be invested in right now, as opposed to a lot of stuff that I could do any old time? A lot of stuff that I could get invested in any old time. What's the stuff that's happening right now? I mean, here's the thing. Think about this. <clears throat> Jesus saying, look, Mary is focused on, on my teaching. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. The, the food thing really probably shouldn't have been all that big a deal. I mean, Jesus had already proven that he could you know, feed thousands of people with one boy's little sack lunch. So food, when Jesus is in your house, food is honestly not that big of a problem, right? There would always be food. But this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I think I'm more tied into that now than I've ever been in my life because my girls are growing up so fast. There's so many things that are happening under my roof in my home in this Christmas season that I'm never gonna have an opportunity to experience again. They're once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. Not everything deserves my concern. The things that I should be concerned about, the things that are personal, that are experiential, that I can't easily duplicate, right? Now, where do we get this from the scripture? It's right here. Jesus said there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that in every situation in the rest of your life, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. He was saying in that situation, in that house, in Bethany, that night, there was one thing that was happening under that roof that was more important than everything else. So that's the first thing. The first thing is we need to be, we need to be focused on the things that really deserve our concern, right? The second thing is this. You have to look for the important things. You have to look for them. They're not going to find you. You're going to have to find them. If you're a detailed person in this room, you know that the details, well, they find you. You walk through the house and you see it. The rest of your family doesn't see it. It's like the rest of your family just walking through the house with blinders on. You're like, no, that needs to be dusted. That needs to be vacuumed. This needs to be put over there and that needs to be put over there. I mean, you see it. Nobody else does, but you see it. Details will find you. But the important stuff won't you'll have to go looking for the important stuff. It's not just gonna pop up out of nowhere. Look at, look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, there's one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has, what's, what's the word? Mary has what? Discovered it. She's discovered it. You're gonna to have to look for it. It's not gonna just find you. You're gonna to have to go searching, exploring, trying to find the important thing that's happening right now. And I'm especially talking to parents that are about my age and you have kiddos at home, right? This is such a busy season. And it feels like life is going at like 120 miles an hour and you've got the, the, the Christmas uh, concerts that you have to go, to, that you get to go to, the Christmas concerts that you get to go to. And all the other stuff that's happening and the family celebrating and the, your calendar is more full than, it's ever, than it ever is any other time of the year and you just feel like you go, 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 go and sometimes it feels like you know, your, your kids don't get along and sometimes they're more cranky this time of year. Sometimes you're just trying to, you know, trying to figure out how are we gonna get all this stuff shoved into this little season? And I wanna tell you, if you let the season pass you by and you don't go looking for the important things, you won't see them. Because you're gonna have to go looking for it. You're going to have to discover it. All right, here's the, here's the last thing that I think Jesus was trying to teach Martha, and that is that the best joy is the joy that lasts. Now, here's where I get this from in this verse. He says, Mary has discovered this important thing, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, now what did he mean by that? It won't be taken away from her. I mean, I think, there, I think there's probably a couple things he meant. I mean, one is, I think he meant, I'm not going to make her get up and go work with you in the kitchen. I think that was probably the primary thing. But I think the other thing he was wanting to teach her is that, listen, some things that we're concerned about have lasting significance, and other things that we're concerned about don't, right? Let me ask you a question, and I don't ask this to make you feel bad, I just, this is a moment of self-examination for you and for me, but at Thanksgiving, at the Thanksgiving celebration that you were just at a few days ago, the things you were most stressed out about, are they gonna be things that you remember in a week? Will you remember them next year? Is the turkey gonna be moist, right? Next year, you're gonna remember whether, whether the turkey was moist last year or not? Probably not, not unless you wrote it down somewhere, right? See, so often we invest so much of ourselves in things that we're gonna forget about tomorrow we're gonna forget about it next week. We're gonna certainly forget about it by next year. And I think what, what Jesus was trying to teach Martha is listen, what you're focused on right now, the meal and all these details, you're gonna forget about it in a, in a week or two. But what, what Mary is experiencing right now, she's never gonna forget. This is gonna last. This is gonna be something that's gonna stay with her for the rest of her life. More than ever, I'm concerned in my own life about how do I tie into the experiences this Christmas that will stay with me for the rest of my life and not just get invested in things that I'm not even gonna remember about next year. Can I show you my favorite Christmas picture to date? Um, uh, and I'm, I actually am gonna put it on the screen because I tried to describe it last night and I couldn't do it justice, so today I thought I'm gonna bring this picture and put it up on the screen. But this is my, my favorite Christmas picture. This is my oldest. Um, she is now 14. I got her permission to show this. Um, but in this picture, she's probably four or five. i'm not I'm not for sure. Um, but I'll tell you a little bit about this Christmas. We had just this was this was pretty early in my ministry. the The year before I had accepted my first ministry job at Edmonds First Baptist Church, And it was totally something we really felt, I really felt God calling me strongly uh, to the ministry, and and I I went to that church. But in order to do that, it took a massive pay cut, and we sold our house, and we moved into a little apartment. And and while, you know, that apartment was a a fine place to live, it was kind of cramped quarters, and we had really noisy neighbors. And we just, we went through a season of really having to trust that God was working all this stuff out, you know, and... And uh, this, this year, the year of this Christmas, um, the church has sort of promoted me to doing some other responsibilities besides what I first started. And they were able to, to take a little better care of us financially. And we had been able to move out of that apartment into a rental house that to us was just wonderful. We were so excited to be there. And it just felt like so many things were working out. We were loving the church that we were at. I was loving my ministry. And uh, we were in this, you know, this beautiful home. And it had a fireplace. We loved that it had a fireplace. And so we'd been there for a pretty short period of time and it was time to decorate for Christmas and I started a fire in the fireplace and it was just one of those special nights Cheyenne was just having a blast you know four or five years old she was loving that we were decorating we were hanging ornaments on the trees she was just twirling around and dancing in the living room and having a great time and then as the night sort of wore on I remember she, she sort of crawled up towards the fireplace and she, she sort of put her hands up like this and put her chin down on that and just watched the fire. And I was sitting, you know, a foot or two away from her. And, and dads in the room, you'll get what I, what I mean when I say this. It was one of those moments that I thought, I think I could just about have this moment last forever. And I think that would just be perfect for me, right? And at the time... Uh, I had just taken up the hobby of photography, which is still a hobby of mine. I had my first nice camera. I had no idea what I was doing with it at the time, but I I was just getting into this. And so I snapped a quick picture of her as she sat there and she looked at the fireplace. Now, here's the thing. I love this picture, and every time I come across it, I get the same wonderful feeling in my heart that I did in that moment. But the truth is, I don't need the picture because I remember it like it was yesterday. It's still with me. Every time, every time we decorate for Christmas, every time we, we get to that part of the season, I still imagine that moment, it still comes back to me because it's joy that lasts. It sticks with me. It was, a, it was one of those moments that was just, made a huge impression on me. And I want a lot more of that in my life. I want a lot, this Christmas season, I want a lot of the moments that I can't forget. I want a lot of the moments that stick with me and that bring me joy even years and years later on down the road. I don't wanna be invested in stuff that I'm gonna forget about tomorrow I wanna be invested in stuff that's gonna stay with me. I want the joy that lasts. <clears throat> so, I wanna give you this. If you're, if you're a manager in the room, excuse me, I'd like to give you three questions. These are sort of gut check questions that you can use. If you find yourself getting a little overwhelmed by the details, these are three questions that you can use when you kinda of recognize you're getting stressed out by something. Um, just to kind of help, help you get recalibrated, sort of get your arm back around the big picture. Um, so here's the question number one. Have I set the bar for joy too high? Remember how I said that Martha did that. She set the, jo- the, the bar for joy too high. She said she wanted everything to be perfect. She wanted everyone to cooperate. Listen, if that's what it's gonna take for me to experience joy at the holidays, I'm never gonna have it, right? Right? I've got to have some flexibility in my goals. I have, to be so, I have to have some openness in my goals, right? You've probably experienced this as I have. Some of the best moments at Christmas that have ever happened in my life happened spontaneously. Not because I had really high goals and I was, I was working like a freight train to meet them, but because there was some flexibility and some wonderful things happened, right? So if I set the bar for joy too high, here's a second question. Will this matter five years from now? We won't camp out on this because we've just spent a lot of time talking about it a moment ago. But I do need to ask myself, is this something that's going to matter when a little bit of time passes? And then the last thing, and maybe this is sort of the overarching question that we can ask, is because I'm stressed about this, am I missing out on important stuff? What's the stuff that's happening under my roof right now in my home that I'm missing out on that I could really be be experiencing, something that would last, joy that would last in my life? Because here's the thing. If you have a big heart and you have the capacity to manage things well, your risk factor is that you're going to stress yourself out this Christmas. The risk is that you're going to strain yourself, that you're going to take on too much, right? And that's not going to be good for your family and it's certainly not going to be good for you. You've got to be able to back up a little bit and recognize that this season is not just about you loving on people. This season is about them loving on you too. This season isn't just about you making everything perfect for people, but this season is something for you to experience as well. And more than that, and I just want to wrap up with this. When Jesus said that there was one thing worth being concerned about, what was he doing? Well, he was funneling everything down to say, you know, more than anything, the most important thing here is that, Mary's connecting with Jesus. And any time a person is connecting with Jesus, that's the most important thing. Any time a person is connecting with Jesus, that's the most important thing. And we're gonna talk in this series about a lot of things that can mess with your Christmas, but let me tell you, there's nothing more important in making sure that your Christmas is what it should be than knowing for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, than being able to sit at Jesus' feet and connect with him. And remember that the season is not about the stressors, it's about the story, It's about the story of Jesus coming to this planet, saving the world so that we could have a relationship with him. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me real briefly, and then we're going to be done. Just in case you're in this room and you'd say, you know what, Jonathan, I really don't have a relationship with God, but I want to, I I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Well, I can't imagine a better time than as we're getting ready to roll into this Christmas season. This would be the best time of all. I'm gonna say the words to a very simple prayer. It's not a magic prayer. As far as I know, there are no magic prayers. This is just a prayer that calls out to God and says, yes, I wanna receive the free gift that you wanna give me of a relationship and a forgiveness for all the things that I've ever done wrong. I'm gonna say this in short snippets so you can follow along. You don't have to say this out loud. You can just say this silently in your heart to God. If you do, it'll be settled once and for all. Ready, here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died and came back to life for me. I know I do wrong things. I know I can't get to heaven on my own. Today I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I believe in you, Jesus. Now look this way, would you? Just briefly, and I know everybody's gonna be in a hurry to get out in a, in, in a moment, but, but briefly, if you just pray that prayer with me, would you do me a favor? Would you take that Talk to Us card that's in the seat in front of you? Check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. Take it back to guest services. We have a, a, just a gift that we'd like to give you. Nobody's gonna hassle you or anything. We just wanna give you that gift before you leave today, all right? Y'all be careful in that snow. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week for the next talking Grinches.